0: Welcome to Making Contact, an international radio program seeking to create connections between people, vital ideas, and important information. This week on Making Contact.
1: There are some things that only governments can do, such as negotiating binding agreements but there are some things that only citizens outside government can do, such as changing human relationships.
2: We are internally displaced people in our own city. I'm a refugee in my Jerusalem.
0: Displaced from their land after the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, Palestinian people have been struggling for autonomy. Some are calling for an independent state. Disputes over land and resource allocations and periodic flare-ups of violence, however, have complicated negotiations involving Palestinians and Israelis. Meanwhile, the Israeli government continues to develop new housing tracks on disputed territory. Over the past few years, some Palestinians and Jews, both in the United States and in Israel, have been circumventing official negotiation channels and developing dialogue among themselves. I'm Philip Babbage, your host this week on Making Contact. Earlier this year, three women from Jerusalem came to the United States to speak about their hopes, fears, and frustrations concerning the conflict in their homeland. Dubbed three women, three faiths, one shared city, Jerusalem, this tour sought to bridge differences between cultures and conflict, and to share the process with the American public. Correspondent Sue Supriano spoke with these women. Mikhail Shoat is an Israeli Jew and member of the Jerusalem City Council. Claudette Habesh is a Palestinian Christian, and Nala Asali is a Palestinian Muslim. Mikhail Shoat began by talking about the divisions between Palestinians and Israelis in Jerusalem.
3: Jerusalem is uh, uh, actually divided because uh, we don't have social relationships with the uh, Palestinians that live in East Jerusalem. And if we met them, it's... uh, when they need our help as a member of the city council in uh, some problems they have, but we don't have a a personal or social relationship with them. Claudette Habish, you were uh,
4: born into a Christian family.
2: I was born in Jerusalem, in what became West Jerusalem, part of Israel. And in 1948, I was made a refugee. I have been expelled from my home to make place for another family, for a Jewish family, who has come from, in my own home, now there are Dutch people living. And uh, I became a refugee. I became the wandering Palestinian around the world.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Nala Asali. Uh, So you were also um, had to leave your home?
5: Well, I was born in West Jerusalem. Uh, West Jerusalem was, in fact, uh, the residential area of many uh, Jerusalemites before the 1948 war. So just like Claudette, I was born in West Jerusalem. And uh, we stayed there till the very end, till almost May 1948, until it became impossible for us to stay. And my father just told my mother, take the children and leave.
4: Impossible, because bullets were because, coming your direction? Uh,
5: well, there were two things. One thing was there was a massacre, the massacre of Deryasin, in which 250, I think, people were killed in Dariyassin, and women were killed. So the Palestinians panicked and said this might happen to my wife and my Mm -hmm. children. So that was one. And the other one, our house was located near a military camp that belonged to the British mandate. And just because of the location, we uh, kind of received a lot of these uh, bullets Mm -hmm. in our bedrooms so uh, it wasn't safe for us to stay any longer yeah so we left
4: did you want to say something Cla- yeah. Claudia Tabich uh,
2: actually today we are internally p- displaced people in our own city I'm a refugee in my Jerusalem and uh, yes I can go to West Jerusalem it's only five minutes away from I li- where I live today but uh, it is very painful and I try not to because I only have the right to look at it over the fence. And a friend of mine, an Israeli girl who grew in this same house, they rented a cottage from my father. She, is, she has the same age as I have, and we have grown together when we were children, very young children, we played together. She still lives in that home, and I'm a stranger. It hurts. It really hurts, and I try not to go, not to pass from that
4: area. I, I've heard many stories, but um, I'd like to hear your description of how it looks in Jerusalem with these divisions.
2: Today in Jerusalem, there is no wall. East Jerusalem, which is Palestinian, Arab Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, which is Israeli today, uh, there Up to 1967, there was a big wall, barbed wire that separated the two places. Today, the wall is gone, but it definitely is a divided city. There is the psychological wall, a very hard wall that divides the city. And uh, also, the physical appearance of the city is divided in two. As you know, uh, we have a councilwoman with us, and our question has been to her, how come that we... Palestinians of Jerusalem pay the same taxes as any Israeli to the municipality. We pay our income taxes and the services are not the same. I don't need to, ex- to describe it to you. If you just walk the streets, you will realize in which part of Jerusalem you are. We have had no sidewalks, no pavements, no electricity.
4: The only service that we get is mostly garbage collection. And have you been aware of this? Oh, well, you must must be, um, Mikhail.
3: Yes, I am yeah. aware of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but uh, as I said before, <laughs> because I am a minority, I, I see how the budget goes in Jerusalem. Okay. And uh, it's not only for the five years. Th- the last five years, it's uh, for the 30 uh, last years. And uh, there is a, a great difference between... between uh, um, East and West Jerusalem, and you can see it without your glasses, so it's not mm-hmm. so difficult to see, but uh, That's what I said before that uh, I, we can now help only on personal issues and not on yeah, other mu-
4: issues. So It must be very frustrating for you as a person who wants to see peace.
3: As do many well, Israelis. Uh, first then. of all, I want to see the citizens of Jerusalem get the same uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the same uh, things both sides, uh, I don't know, all over Jerusalem uh, as a city council, member of the city council. And uh, peace if pa- is, it, is, the, it is a part of that, but uh, they need the same uh, service that we get in uh, Jerusalem. So it's very frustrating. It mm-hmm. is. I'd like to hear something about um, the peace
4: movement as it is inside Israel Uh, because I know that there is one and uh, it's always important to separate the government from the the people and I heard you speaking earlier, uh, Michal, about a, a large number of people at some demonstrations. Would you
3: talk about that? Well, there are more than one peace movement in, Jerusalem, in, in Israel. There are lots of peace movement in, Jew- in Israel, and uh, uh, they become bigger and uh, new movements every day, almost every day. I was talking about a demonstration was taken uh, place on the fourth of November, 1997, and it was for answer to answer a question about. Uh, demonstration two years ago when uh, uh, Mr. Rabin was murdered, there was then uh, 100,000 and to uh, to show how uh, the peace movements grow up so then uh, I said it in the last demonstration was 250,000 uh, so uh, there are more than one uh, uh, peace movement and uh,
4: uh, many organizations.
3: Yeah, but what I want to say is that if you look uh, into the polls in Israel, you can see that more than 50% of the Israelis want the peace movement to go on uh, the peace process to go on. So uh, uh, it's very clear that uh, uh, we have to go on with the peace process according to the Israelis uh, ordinary people. And I think that answer to your question. We have to separate the government from the people. Although the, the, this government, Mr. Netanyahu, was uh, legally elected, but uh, he promised before he was elected that uh, he's going to go on with the Oslo Agreement which, a promise which he didn't kept. So uh, maybe he misled us. I don't know. I think for the whole issue, we don't have peace because there is no
2: justice. We have come to the United States, to talk, to tell about our stories, to tell about what is happening today as concerned citizens, as concerned wives, mothers, and I'm a grandmother of five. Uh, I cannot afford to see my children, my grandchildren suffer again. And also, I don't want to see the children of Michal being killed. All those killings, what did they bring? No peace. But justice today is to recognize... The other as equal we are all born equal under god but we have not been treated equally there is everyday continued humiliation for the palestinians by the israeli government and the israeli army our homes are being demolished just last august in jerusalem itself in east jerusalem 52 houses were demolished in one month yes Some of the excuses are that we are building illegally. We have no permits to build. Yes, it is partly true. Sometimes they are demolished because they stand in the way of uh, a bypass road to be done for the Israeli settlers. But why do we build illegally? We have a natural growth. We need to live somewhere. We don't get those permits. Building... uh, a building society has asked for a building permit for eight years and it's only after eight years that they did get the permit to to do this housing project for the Palestinians. So what do you expect again the injustice today closure on the west bank it is a siege my people are living under siege this closure has started in march 1993. we expected that after the oslo accords this closure on the people would be would be lifted on the contrary today it seems to be much stricter than it was before 125,000 workers and laborers have lost their jobs in israel uh, our economy, ravaged by 30 years of occupation, cannot absorb this workforce. Mm-hmm. The great injustice that is continuing today, and supposedly after the uh, uh, Oslo Accords, settlements should have been freezed. Expe- uh, confiscation of Palestinian land continues expansion of the settlements continues, these lands are confiscated to build new residential neighborhoods for the Israelis on the West Bank. And, but the peace process is land for peace. This is what we were discussing mm-hmm. and what we are supposed to be talking about. But it seems to me that Israel today is moving toward a permanent occupation.
0: Claudette Habesh, a Palestinian Christian. She was joined by Mikhail Shoat, an Israeli Jew and member of the Jerusalem City Council, and Nala Asali, a Palestinian Muslim. We'll have more of their interview with Sue Supriano in a minute. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you want to get in touch with any of the organizations you hear about in this program, please give us a call. It's toll-free, 800-529-5736. Call that same phone number for tapes and transcripts, or if you'd like to make a comment or a suggestion for future programs. That's 800-529-5736. During their recent tour titled, Three Women, Three Faiths, One Shared City, Jerusalem, Claudette Habesh, Mikhail Shoat, and Nala Asali spoke with correspondent Sue Supriano about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict.
4: And as I asked you to describe um, earlier what it looks like in Jerusalem, I would like someone to describe what it looks like on the West Bank with these new settlements and uh, the roads, well, first of all, Jerusalem
5: is surrounded by almost a almost a complete ring of settlements that constitutes the um, surrounding um, as Claudette said, housing uh, neighborhoods to take uh, israelis uh, whatever. but when you leave Jerusalem and take a drive. South to Hebron, for example, um, both sides you look at both sides, and you see settlements
4: and what does settlements mean exactly how does that how do they look? here uh,
5: You look at the top of a hill, and it's big apartment buildings, um, nice roads that lead to the settlements.
4: So we're not and talking about some tents or something, big, fancy apartment buildings, or really nice apartment buildings?
5: Some of them are um, villas. Some of them are very nice, uh, one-house uh, building.
2: What it, look, it looks like on the West Bank?
5: There is, north
2: of Jerusalem, north of Ramallah, actually very close to Ramallah, a refugee camp called Jalazon, where around 8,000 people live today they live in shacks they live miserably these have these are people who have been expelled from their own homes in lidda and ramla and they were expelled by the israeli army in 1948 and uh, what is very interesting is that facing them immediately are those beautiful villas those beautiful gardens that are occupied by the israelis it is one of the settlements but i must share this with you i think deep down those settlers feel that they are wrong that they are not in the right place because they live like in ghettos they have all those uh, electronically wired fences they have to have guards i mean if they felt at peace why should they be living this way why should they have fences why should have they have guards? They probably know that they are not, this is not the right place for them to be in.
4: Um, I would like you, especially if you would, Mikhail, to uh, comment on what is the reaction of Israelis who are wanting peace and involved in these peace organizations to this, these, um, new, this new building in the occupied territories in the West Bank.
3: Well, uh, I was here. But uh, I heard that uh, Netanyahu government has decided to build new 600 units in one of the settlements. But I'm sure that while I'm here and I heard about it, uh, there was a a, a demonstration against it in front of his office. So I'm so sure that every time that there is uh, a uh, a decision like that, uh, we are going out to demonstrate against it, so uh, we don't have the power, the power to stop, but uh, as, uh, as I recall, when uh, the bulldozer came to Har Homa to start the building in Har Homa, uh, Peace Now, which is one of the big uh, uh, peace movements, uh, stayed there in a tent for, I think, two weeks uh, to protest uh, uh, the decision. We do as much as we can, and, and under this uh, government is uh, especially demonstrate against the, these decisions. Yeah, thanks, Claudette.
2: Uh, we are we are very happy to know about these peace movements like Shalom Machshav, La Kiesh Gvul, and uh, we know. Th- we don't. We know that they are patriotic Israelis who have a long-term vision, and uh, but it seems that they, so far they did not have enough clout to change things. But maybe I will tell you: we have come to the United States because we feel that the United States has the United States administration, and you citizens, because the administration is represented by your official, elected officials, has an important role to play, and we feel that the United States administration is not fair-handed. Your policy is not fair-handed with concerning the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As an example, the UN General Assembly wrapped up its annual debate on the question of Palestine and voted 164 to against to reaffirm the right of the Palestinians to self-determination. That was last December. Israel and the US cast negative votes. Again, the assembly passed a resolution 148 voices against one saying that Israel's opposition imposition of its laws, jurisdiction, and administration on Jerusalem was illegal. Nine states, including the US, abstained. Mm-hmm. This is why you will hear us that the United States, ha- who is a co-sponsor of the peace process, we have started the peace process because we, there are people like us, but the two Palestinians here, who believe in peace. There are people like Michal and all those peace movements who believe that there should be justice and peace, and we will try to work for that. But uh, we expect, we hope at least that the United States will be able to to play the honest broker concerning the issues affecting our lives back home.
0: Claudette Habesh, speaking with Sue Supriano. They were joined by Mikhail Shoat and Nala Asali. Sponsored by Partners for Peace, Habesh, Shoat, and Asali toured the United States earlier this year. In the United States, some Jews and Palestinians are forming so-called dialogue groups, forums where ideas can be shared and issues debated. Making contacts, Peggy Law met with one such group in San Mateo, California. She spoke with Elias Bato, a Palestinian, and Len and Libby Traubman, who are Jewish. Several years ago, the Traubmans began inviting Jews and Palestinians to their house so the two groups of people could meet face to face. Bato began by talking about some of the misconceptions Americans have about Palestinians.
6: To the American people, public in general, when you say a Palestinian, right away you have that terrorist with a cafe on his head. And if you say Israeli or a Jew, he is the discriminated, the poor guy who's trying to find a hole in this world to live in. There's two sides to every story. Not all Palestinians are terrorists, and not all Jews are saints either. Not Israelis are saints. So it takes two. You know, you have, you know, what I'm saying is you have to look at the other side. I mean, there's the other side of the coin. And the Americans, unfortunately, through the years, they've been educated about Israel and the Jews' need. In this, in this country. And the Israeli and as everybody knows, is very, very influential in the United States. And the American people is fed what the government wants them to know, and of course, and the government being influenced by the lobbyists, and that's why the American education about the Middle East is a little bit lopsided. They don't know much about the Palestinian issue or the Arab issue in general. If they really care about Israel and the Israelis' welfare, they can't care about it through military force. They have to care about it through dialogue because if you were to look at Israel and see how it's, it's why, by what it is surrounded, Israel is surrounded by the Arab world. And if they are or they were their enemies, then it is our duty and America's duty is to see to it that those countries become Israel's friend so they can live in peace and in security, not through military might. Military might is now, but it doesn't last. He who rules by the sword is going to die by the sword.
3: Is one of the things that you hope to accomplish by this uh, a reduction in tensions in the community, and particularly discrimination against uh, people of um, uh,
1: Palestinian origin? It seems like that would be a desired outcome. I know that people in this group who had never come together before, uh, some of the Jews had never sat with a Palestinian, and a, there were Palestinians who had never sat with the Jews before. It was a whole new experience, and you could see and feel the difference as they would line up on opposite sides of the room and almost kind of clutch each other in the early meetings and not speak out, and and had they were so afraid of these images that they had of each other and how they were communicating back and forth. I think a side benefit from doing this is to be able to go out and say, hey, I've sat in a living room and I sat with the most wonderful Palestinians and I sat with the most wonderful Jewish people. They weren't at all what I thought they were. And to kind of, as a ripple effect, share it with their friends, that this this is definitely a new reality for them. And I think those kinds of things happen only in face-to-face relationships. You can help break down the stereotypes by talking about them. But if you haven't personally sat with somebody and had a conversation or a meal or looked into their eyes and heard their life story, it's very hard to give consent or be empathetic uh, to those people. And I think it's been a great result for at least the participants in this group. They've definitely had a change of heart and mind about the other Lynn, where do you
3: see it going? Do you have hope that this is going to somehow grow farther and farther, and can policies really be changed that have so much passion behind them?
0: Uh, Yes, I feel very hopeful. As I said, I feel this is the destiny. I think that, um, if I can use religious words, that uh, I think every person has a soul. And I think that the the soul's longing is to uh, cooperate and to live in our diversity uh, harmoniously. So I do feel hopeful. Uh, we have had a very positive uh, response from the mainstream Jewish community. Um, I think that people see that within this dialogue process, at least in our dialogue group, that we are for both peoples and that we want the best for both and that um, and that th- there uh, there is hope.
1: I wanted to add one other thing about the importance of dialogue. Um, and I want to quote Dr. Harold Saunders, who is the former Assistant Secretary of State and a negotiator at the Camp David Accords, which puts into words why we feel having our dialogue group is very important. There are some things that only governments can do, such as negotiating binding agreements, but there are some things that only citizens outside government can do, such as changing human relationships. I feel like that's a really good statement of why a dialogue group is important. We recognize that we can't solve all the problems. We're not political, but we certainly can help change people's minds and their frames of reference and give them um, new hope about building better relationships with their neighbors. And governments cannot make people do that.
0: Libby Traubman. She was joined by Len Traubman and Elias Bato, participants in a dialogue group that addresses the prospects for peace in Israel. They spoke with Peggy Law. If you want a free booklet titled Building a Common Future that's a resource for a Jewish-Palestinian dialogue, please give us a call. You'll hear our toll-free number in a moment. That's it for this edition of Making Contact. Thanks for listening. And special thanks this week to the World Affairs Council and Partners for Peace for assistance in recording portions of the show. I'm Philip Babbage.
1: If you want more information about the subject of this week's program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736. Call that same phone number for tapes and transcripts, or if you'd like to make a comment about what you've just heard. That's 800 529 Making Contact is an independent production funded by individual contributors. We're committed to providing a forum for voices and opinions not often heard in the mass media. Our producers are David Barsamian, Philip Babich, and Denise Grob. Our senior advisor is Norman Solomon, and our executive director is Peggy Law. Our theme music is by the Charlie Hunter Trio. For everyone at Making Contact, thanks for listening.